Amen. Why don't you turn in your Bibles tonight to two openings of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11 and Mark chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 is a, um, the, the Bible definition of faith. It's um, the translation from the, uh, the Greek to the, um, the English in the King James is uh, a little difficult for us. Sometimes we, um, I, I like to look at some other translations of Hebrews 11.1 1 to, uh, to get a, a little better understanding of, uh, of what it says. Hebrews 11.1 1 in the King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, different translations of this verse will relate it in different ways. Instead of saying faith is the substance of things hoped for, many translations say faith is the assurance of the things that we hope for. I like um, uh, the ERV says it this way, Faith is what makes real the things we hope for. It is proof of what we cannot see. I like that. Faith is what makes real the things that we hope for. It is proof of what we cannot see. Weiss translation says it this way. It says, now faith is the title deed. The title deed. Now faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the proof of things which are not being seen. The um, uh, I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. If um, uh, if you've got a title deed to a piece of property, whether it's your home or, or some other piece of property, that title deed is the proof that the property belongs to you. Now, if somebody was impressed of the Lord to bring you the title deed to a piece of property that you've never seen, whether it's local or whether it's, uh, it's some distance away, that title deed in your hand, signed over and, and bequeathed or, or uh, transferred over to you, would be the proof of property even though you can't see it. Well, that's what the Bible says that faith is. Faith is the title deed for the things that you can't see. It's the title deed for the faith, for things that you cannot see. In the same way, if uh, a rich man made you a beneficiary of his will, you'd be rich at the point of his death, even if you didn't know you were in the will. And let's say, imagine for a second that they couldn't get a hold of you. Maybe the, the person that, that bequeathed you the money, their estate or uh, executor of the estate is looking for the, the heirs and, and uh, looking for the, the beneficiaries of the will and so forth, and they can't find you. Maybe you've moved, and maybe you're, you don't have a current address with them. They can't find you. Regardless of the fact that you don't know and they can't even notify you of what's yours, you would still be a rich individual as the beneficiary of that rich man's will. That's what faith is. Faith is the proof of things that you can't see. Now, somebody has related faith to the sixth sense, and I, I think that's a good analogy. We know that the human body has five senses, uh, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and seeing. And those five senses work independently of one another. For example, some of the things you see you can't hear. Some of the things you hear you can't smell. Some of the things you smell, you can't see. We wouldn't say, we wouldn't doubt that someone in the room is wearing perfume because we can't see the perfume, because we can smell it. In the same way, it's foolish to doubt the things that we can't see, the promises of God's word that we can't yet see with our natural eye. It's foolish to doubt that those things are real just because your five physical senses can't register on them. Wouldn't it? That would be a foolish thing to do. Yes, that's where the devil tries to keep us. 
The devil tries to keep us into the sense realm. He tries to tell us that the promises of God aren't true. He tries to tell us that healing's not real because you can't see it or you can't feel it. Well, if we use that same analogy where the five physical senses are concerned, as I said, one very easy one to see is the one we just mentioned. We wouldn't doubt that somebody's wearing perfume because we can't see it. Because our physical sense of smell tells us that somebody's wearing perfume. Well, we don't doubt those things because we understand that's how they work. Faith, which as I said, somebody has called the spiritual sense or the sixth sense, works independently of your five physical senses. It works independently of your five physical senses. Now, in in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus said something very, very uh, important when he's talking about the operation of faith. Verse 23, I guess we should relate the whole thing together. Verse 23, Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Then he says in verse 24 how faith works in prayer. Verse 23 doesn't say one word about praying. It talks about faith being a principle that works as a result of believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. But we speak out our prayers. And so he tells us, he's faithful to tell us how faith works in prayer. In verse 24, he said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray. When you pray. Time is always an important issue. It's the thing the devil tries to trip us up with. Well, when are we going to receive? How long is it going to take? The devil will always say, well, if you were really in faith, it would have worked by now. Maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe your faith is faulty. Maybe there's something wrong with you. But Jesus addresses the the issue of time in verse 24 of Mark chapter 11. He said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. When do you believe? When you pray. When you see it? No, when you pray. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you pray, and you shall have them. Now, we're talking about healing. This is healing school, so let's put it in a healing context. Therefore, I say unto you, the healing that you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive healing, and you shall have healing. Believe that you receive healing, and you shall have healing. Believe, when you pray, that you receive healing, and you shall have healing. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that faith, Bible faith, the God kind of faith, the faith that receives from God, the faith that pleases God, that kind of faith operates this simple through this simple principle. And that is, that kind of faith believes when it prays that it receives whatever it asks for. That's it. That kind of faith, the faith that receives from God, the faith that pleases God, believes that it receives what it asks for when they pray when the individual prays now the rest of it's god's part god said and you shall have them and you shall have them in this case healing believe that you receive when you pray believe that you receive healing and you shall have healing in other words that spiritual sixth sense in operation is the believing that you receive what you pray for the healing that you pray for independent of feeling it independent of seeing it independent of your five physical senses. And the Bible says, if you'll do that, 
And the Bible instructs us further. It says, cast not away your confidence. Don't give up on the faith, the evidence of the things that you can't see. Don't give up on believing you receive it when you pray. Because that has great recompense or reward according to Hebrews 10 verse 35 and 36. Don't give up on that kind of faith because that kind of faith always brings into physical reality the healing that it believes it receives. Always. Always. Faith makes real the things that we hope for. Faith. Believing you receive when you pray always makes real the things that you hope for. In this case, healing, the healing that you hope for. Now, that necessitates something that's very important. And that's, this is something that, uh, um, well, the Lord's dealt with me about this a lot over the last number of years. And that is this. As we started in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith is the substance, King James, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't have evidence for something that's not real. You can't have evidence for something not real. Now, notice what Paul said by the Holy Ghost. Faith is the substance or the title deed or the assurance of the things that we hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Why didn't the Holy Ghost say, now, faith can be the evidence of things not seen? How's God know what you're going to believe for? Why is it there's some kind of qualification rather than a blanket statement that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Knowing that you can't have evidence for something that's not real. Because you know as well as I do that a lot of people are believing for things that aren't real. Why does the Holy Ghost make a blanket statement, a a declarative statement, declaration of truth? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Because Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Jesus said, nothing is impossible to him that believes. The reality of the word of God is very simply, there's nothing you can ask that's too big for God. And if you can believe for it, you can have it. So faith, the kind of faith that believes it receives when it prays, is the evidence. It is the title deed. That you have what you ask for. You know as well as I do that you got to have food before you can taste it. you got to have perfume before you can smell it. There has to be something before your five physical senses can register it. You have to have healing as a reality in the finished work of Jesus, a part of the finished work of Jesus, in reality, before you can take hold of it by faith. That's why faith is the evidence of things that you can't see because it's an accomplished fact. It's an accomplished fact. What does that mean? It means very simply this. And Mark eleven twenty four brings it out. It means that healing exists in the invisible realm before it invi- exists in the visible one. Or the physical realm. Let me say that again. Healing exists in the invisible or the unseen realm before it exists in the physical realm which is visible. That has to be the truth. Again, Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things you desire, Mark eleven twenty four. what things you desire, the healing you desire, believe that you receive that healing when you pray, believe that you receive that healing, and you shall have that healing. Now, let's go back to the first example that we used about the title deed. 
If somebody brought you a title deed and transferred it and said, I've already signed it over to you. This is a title deed for a piece of property the Lord told me to give you. Let's say it's a house. That house is yours before you take possession. That house is yours because of what the owner of the house did to make it yours. The title deed is just a document, a piece of paper that identifies his wishes as the owner of the property to make it yours. But it's yours before you ever visit the property, before you ever put dishes in the cabinets, clothes in the closets, or socks in the drawer, before you ever take possession of it. In reality, it's yours. That's the way that healing works, it seems. Healing is yours because God transferred it to you through the work of Jesus. But it's up to you to take possession. Now, you could ignore that piece of property. You could frame the title deed and put it on the wall. You say, oh, isn't this pretty? Look at what God did for me. God put it on a person's heart to come give me a house. And you could fail to ever take possession of it. Now, you could also put it on the, the individual, put it over on somebody else, and try to make it their responsibility. You can say, well, I've got the title deed. I've had it for years, but I have no idea why in the world they won't make that property mine. When all you've got to do is take the title deed and go to the property and unlock the door. Once it belongs to you, it's your responsibility, isn't it? But look at how people turn that around. People say, well, if Jesus paid the price for sin and sickness, then it's up to God to make sure that I get well. When they're failing to take possession of it themselves. Now, how do you take possession? Well, remember, faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the title deed to the things that we hope for. What is faith? Jesus said, faith is what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. In other words, the way to take possession of your property is to believe you receive healing when you pray and not be moved off that and not be moved off that. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. The devil's always going to try to make you turn loose, and he usually tries to do it through the five physical senses. He'll try to tell you, well, you can't see it and you can't feel it, so healing must not be real. But it is real. How do we know it's real? Because we believe we receive it when we pray. Yeah, but how do we know? Because Jesus said, when you pray, believe you receive it and you'll have it. It comes down to whether or not Jesus told us the truth, doesn't it? See, if God's word is true, if Jesus is the Son of God, for whom it says of God that it's impossible for him to lie, then it simply comes down to his word. Faith is honoring God's word in your life. Faith is accepting God's word to be true no matter what you can see, no matter what you can feel, no matter what your five physical senses tell you. Faith says it's true because God said so. Therefore, I choose to act on it. How do you do that? I believe I receive my healing when I pray. I believe I receive my healing when I pray. Now, what's going to happen then? Well, if you hang on to it, if you refuse to cast away that kind of confidence, then it'll become so real to you that you'll start thanking God before you see it. The Bible says of Abraham, who... Romans chapter 4 tells us to follow his faith, be followers and imitators of Abraham's faith. It says Abraham 
was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Who gave Abraham the idea to praise God for the answer before he saw it? If God's the one who told him about it and the Bible doesn't give us a record, then God hasn't given us a faithful account of his faith. But if Abraham came up with that idea, it says Abraham was strong in faith, two conditions, two characteristics of his strong faith. Abraham was strong in faith, number one, giving glory to God, number two, being fully persuaded that what God promised he was able also to perform. In other words, it says of Abraham and his faith, you remember the promise God made to him, promised him that he'd have a child when he was 100 years old, way past uh, the point of having children. It's an impossible, a physical impossibility. Now, folks, whatever you're believing for, it can't be more impossible than Abraham's situation. It may be just as impossible, but it can't be any more impossible. So if it'll work for Abraham, it'll work for anybody. You can't get anything more impossible than Abraham's situation. And if his faith brought him his answer, then your faith can bring you your answer. And it says of Abraham's situation that in spite of the physical impossibility, in spite of not being able to see or feel or hear or taste or smell or whatever else I left out. In the face of impossibility, according to his five physical senses, he became so persuaded, fully persuaded, that God was able to do what he promised, that he got happy about it before he saw it. That he got happy about it before he saw it. Now what in the world would make somebody so confident of God's ability to keep his word that they would glorify God for the answer, that they'd get happy about it like he did? There's only one thing, and that is to focus on what God promised. And then to recognize the one that promised me is the one that created the universe. Now if Abraham is is looking at his circumstances, if he's checking his body every day, saying, well, I don't feel any different than I did yesterday. don't feel any stronger. don't feel any more able to have a child today than I did yesterday or last week. Then there's no way in the world that he's going to develop a confidence in God's, God keeping his promise to him. No way in the world. So what does that mean? That means a right mental attitude is critical to you having the thing that you believe you receive. A right mental attitude is a critical ingredient. Now, what does it mean to have a right mental attitude? Well, it means very simply this. The mind that is controlled by the five physical senses will never rise to the place where it has confidence in God's word. In other words, the mind that looks at the physical circumstances and the physical senses, five physical senses, to determine whether or not God's word is true will never operate in the kind of prevailing faith that receives from God. The kind of faith that makes real or brings into reality the unseen truths of the word. But on the other hand, the right mental attitude would be the mind that's governed by what God promised upon which your faith is based instead of the five physical senses. That right mental attitude will receive every time may not be overnight, may not be as quick as you want it to be, but it'll receive every time. Now, let's give another example. Let's say somebody came and, and um, uh, uh, well, first of all, they deposited money into a bank account on your behalf. And then they came and brought you the passbook and a checking, uh, you know, checks to go along with it. 
you wouldn't take, uh, they told you what happened. I, let's say that it was $100,000. They came and say, now, brother or sister, I deposited $100,000 into this account at such and such a bank. For you, I put your name on the account. You wouldn't check your own pockets to see if the money was there, would you? In other words, you wouldn't check your circumstance or what was in your physical possession to tell you whether or not that was true, would you? What would you do? You'd ask for the passbook. You'd ask for the checks on the account. In other words, it wouldn't be something in your possession that would verify the reality of what he deposited on your behalf. Well, the Bible is a Christian's passbook. And faith is the checking account that draws on that passbook. We find out from God's word, not from our circumstance, not from what we see or not what we feel or not what things look like tomorrow to identify what we have. We look to the passbook. We look to the, the record that identifies what has been deposited in our name. And folks, the Bible says Jesus has deposited everything you'll ever need through his death, burial, and resurrection to your account. So it's the, fool, it's the most foolish thing in the world to look at our five visible senses to verify whether or not God's word is true. Yet that's where the devil tries to keep us. We'll confess the word of God. We'll say, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. And the devil's right there on your shoulder whispering into your ear saying, well, do you feel any better today than you did yesterday? What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. But he's trying to get you to focus your attention on your physical senses. Why? Because if you focus your attention on your physical senses, you can't be focused on what God's word says. You can only look at one thing at a time, folks, no matter how well you think you are at multitasking. Spiritually, it can't be done. You look at one thing at a time, one and only one thing at a time, and you look at one thing exclusively. You're either going to look at your five physical senses, how you feel or what you see, or you're going to look at the promise of God's Word. Abraham, as being an example, the father of our faith, Abraham was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able also to perform. In other words, he looked constantly at what God had promised. Being not weak in faith and considered not his own body now dead. He didn't look at his circumstance. He didn't look at the condition of his body. But looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. He staggered not through unbelief. In other words, he kept and maintained that right mental attitude that caused his faith to bring the results that God intended for it to bring. How did he do that? By looking constantly at the promise of God. And he got so persuaded he got so convinced that the word of God was true, he got happy about it. You can't find any instruction that God ever gave him and said, Now, Abraham, this time next year you're going to have a child, but I want to make sure that you start doing something every day. You've got to praise me for the answer. It's not the way it went. Abraham started praising God for the answer because he was persuaded that God's promise was true. How do you get that persuaded? By looking only at the promise. By looking only at the promise. It, there's a, uh, an interesting thing that the Bible talks about magnifying God. To magnify God means to make him bigger. How do you make God bigger? David talked a lot in the Psalms about magnifying the Lord. 
How do you magnify God? How do you make God bigger? Well, you can't make God bigger in reality, but you can make God bigger to you. You make God bigger in your thinking and in your estimation. How do you do that? By looking only at the promise of God's word. And by doing so, you're doing exactly what we talked about in the illustration we used. You're looking at the passbook. You're looking at what the bank account reflects that has been deposited to your account. Now, how long would you have to look at a bank account that says that $100,000 has been deposited to on your behalf? How long would you have to look at that before you started getting happy? As soon as you realize that that bank book was not a forgery and nobody was pulling your leg, this was, this was the real deal, you'd be happy instantly, wouldn't you? Well, why aren't we that way with the promise of God's word? In most cases, it's because we're trying to judge the truth of the word by our circumstance. We're trying to judge the truth of the word by our senses. Well, this doesn't line up with the way I feel. This doesn't line up with what I see in my body. So we judge, and this is exactly what the devil tries to, tries to influence us to do. He wants us to judge the truth of the word by what we see and how we feel. And what we see and how we feel has nothing to do with the truth of God's word. Not one thing in the world. And never will. Never will. You know, there have been things that I believed God for that when they happened, I thought I'd get a lot happier about it when it occurred than I really got. There were some things, I'm thinking of one thing in particular that I believed God for and, and stood in faith for, for for some period of time, a long period of time. And I had the idea, man, when this comes in, I'm going to be so happy about this that it's just going to just change everything about the way I look at things. And it came, and it was like, well, thank God that's done, but I sure don't feel the way I thought I was going to feel about it. By then, I was already on, uh, moved on to other things to believe God for. My point is very simply this. A lot of times, we think that if we had something in physical reality, it would make us feel differently than it really does. Which verifies that our feelings don't have anything to do with it, whether it's in visible form or invisible form. So why should we let that occupy our thinking? We shouldn't. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Things we're talking about in this, uh, for our purposes tonight and in these services on Sunday night is healing. What healing soever you desire. Believe that you receive healing and you shall have healing. Believe that you receive healing and you shall have healing. The faith works the same in every area. Believe you receive finances and you shall have finances. Believe you receive peace and you shall have peace. Believe that you receive sleep at night and you'll have sleep at night. It works the same thing in every area. And in every area, the devil's always the same. He tries to make you doubt based on what you see or how you feel. Jesus said the realities that you can't see will become visible and will materialize. If you believe, you receive them when you pray. If you believe, you receive them when you pray. If you believe, you receive them when you pray. Now, here's a question I've got for you, and we'll close with this. When is it more real, in invisible form or invisible form? 
when it's invisible, unseen, or when it can be seen? When is it more real? Just as real in invisible or unseen form as it ever will be when you can see it and feel it. That's the, the secret that the devil tries to hide from you. He tries to tell you it's not real unless you can see it or feel it. It's just as real when it's invisible, when it's unseen, when it's a part of the spiritual realm. It's when it's made of a part of the visible or physical realm. It's just as real. Then why shouldn't we believe in it just as strongly before we can see it as a lot of people think that they'll believe when they can see it? The answer is we should. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham looked at the promise of God so intently and became so persuaded that God's promise was just as good and just as real and just as true as the, as the son that he was looking forward to having. That he got happy about it and he praised God for the answer. And it brought the son that he was looking for. It brought into material reality, physical reality, the son of promise. Well, what's your son of promise? Is it healing? Is it finances? Is it something in a family situation? Could be anything. The word of God is just as true and just as real before you ever see it as it is when it materializes. Thank God for his word. Thank God that, that God cares enough about us to tell us what's ours even before we can see it or feel it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Though we can't see it, though we can't feel it, it's just as real as the time that will come where we can see it and feel it. So, Father, we glorify you for the healing that is ours and purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We believe that we receive healing when we prayed. And so we thank you that healing is ours. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. No matter what we see, no matter what we feel, no matter what our five physical senses tell us, no matter what thoughts or doubts come to our mind, thank you, Father, that healing is ours and will forever be ours because Jesus purchased it for us with his precious blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. We recognize that we're just as healed now when we can't see it and feel it as we ever will be when it materializes. Thank you, Father, that we're healed now in Jesus' name, by faith, in the Word of God. If you can, believe, if you can agree with that, say amen. 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 I remember Brother Hagin saying something right after I got to school at Ramah. It was, it was in the afternoon healing school. He, in those days, he was teaching most of the afternoon classes. He got to the point where he let other people do it. But he was teaching uh, healing school one afternoon. I'd been there for just, I don't know, a couple of weeks maybe. Brother Hagin said something. didn't have anything to do with what he's teaching. But he looked right over to where I was sitting, not specifically at me. He didn't know who I was at the time. But he just kind of looked over in our general, my general area in, uh, in the auditorium. Small room, smaller than this room, much smaller than this room, less than half the size of this room. And he said, you know, I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy. Well, I immediately thought, not me. I always wanted to be one of those people that had it easy. He said, yeah, I feel sorry for people that always had it easy. I always had things handed to them. He said, because they never learned the value of trusting God. He said, there is nothing of greater value 
than to learn to trust the Lord. Well, it took me a while, but I understand it now. There's something about understanding how and knowing the value of trusting God and standing on his word in spite of the impossible circumstances that we're faced with that's better than having somebody hand you whatever you need at every turn. But sooner or later, somebody giving you handouts runs out. I wish they'd learn that politically. Sooner or later, handouts run out. You run out of other people's money. Sooner or later. Then what do you do? The people that know how to believe God aren't worried about it. Because their supply never runs out. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.